Tony coached me from the age of 13, taught me everything I knew about athletics at that stage. And I got older, I went to different championships, I developed as an athlete, and that was all down to his coaching. I hated running, realised I couldn't run very far. Started doing parkrun, quite like running with other people, so started a group and met all these lovely people. You're listening to an introduction to the England Athletics podcast. The summer season has cooled down, but we have something in the pipeline to fill your athletics needs. We want to promote your club, listen to your stories, and hear from the legends of your sport. We'll have a look back at some nostalgia, look ahead to upcoming events, and explain the work we do, including all of the people that are part of it. You'll be able to have your say on everything England Athletics, as we provide insight on everything from what it's like to be a volunteer, to our campaigns to increase participation and performance, and keep on top of mental health. There are lots of ways to get in touch, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So it's probably a good time to explain who we are and why we're doing this. So I'm Dean Hardman. I've been involved with my club, Sale Harriers, since I was 14, and can often be found at the side of tracks or plodding around local 5 and 10Ks. I'm Head of Business Partnerships and Major Events for England Athletics. And I'm Chris Jones, schoolboy athlete of no repute, signed into my local club age three weeks old, played sport and been involved in sport as a volunteer most of my life, worked for England Athletics for 12 years, and I've been CEO for nearly seven years. Coming up later, we're going to hear from Jess Ennis-Hill, one of the heroes of London 2012, all about the impact that coaches, clubs and volunteers have had on her career. So Chris, obviously we, we go around the country, we meet clubs, we do our road shows of various types. Why are we doing a podcast? It's another way of communicating with people. We are, first and foremost, a grassroots membership and development organisation. We're here to support volunteers and uh, hopefully make their lives uh, easier and more comfortable within the sport. We're here to motivate more people to get involved in the sport as participants. We've got members of England Athletics who range from the age of five up to 91, and we want to try and improve performance levels in the sport. So communication first and foremost, and to answer our members' questions about what we are doing to support them. Obviously, it's been a busy year. Started off for us, the, I guess, at the start of the competition season with the Commonwealth Games, which we were fortunate enough to be at and obviously take that team out there. What have the highlights of the year been for you? We mentioned Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast. Every four years, we have the honour of taking the England team to compete in the Commonwealth Games. And uh, every two years, on average, we take the team to the Commonwealth Youth Games as well. They're important competitions, of course they are, but the majority of the work that we do is at grassroots level. Uh, athletics and running clubs of various sizes and shapes up and down the country. I've been delighted to, to go and see many of these clubs during the year and meet the volunteers who, who actually introduce many of the athletes uh, who will compete for England one day uh, into the sport for the first time. So it's been an action-packed year. Commonwealth Games was uh, hugely enjoyable and successful and fantastic to see so many youngsters come through from our age group championships as well to wear an England vest at Commonwealth Games. So, wonderful year for many reasons. Yeah, I guess for me, it's taking the other end of the age scale. We've, we obviously started our age group programme working with British Masters Athletics Federation this year. You talk about getting youngsters to represent England, seeing all those older athletes and runners representing England has been a real highlight for me, uh, obviously in, in the last few months, Birmingham 10K, where we saw our Masters team compete. I guess one of the other reasons we're doing this podcast is partly because we get a lot of questions about what England Athletics do, who we are, why we do it. Obviously, there's 
a range of different bodies involved in the delivery of athletics, whether that be competitions or, or education or other, other parts of the sport. It's a really good opportunity to highlight what our role is within the sport and what we do to support our members. Well, we can't do it alone. I think we'd all accept, you know, if you work in isolation and not in partnership, you're doomed for failure. I mean, our sport is uh, huge in terms of participation numbers. I mean, as a membership organisation, we have 1,750 member clubs and member bodies, various disciplines and the, the needs of those athletes and runners are different. So there are a range of different organisations out there normally run by volunteers who do wonderful jobs putting on competitions and events on the track, off the track, on the road, each week, each month, each year. And uh, we're just here to try and support them and work with them. And I think there are certain things that we are probably better placed to deliver, such as coaching qualifications, officials qualifications, courses, conferences, championships at national level and international teams. But there are other activities that others can do better than we can. And in some cases, we will... Uh, fund them to deliver these activities but I think partnership is the most important word that I would use working with and through others and it's something that our sport uh, has been founded on really and long may that continue. I guess there are some misconceptions out there aren't there around how we're funded obviously when we started out certainly I wasn't there but um, some of our colleagues were when, when we were first founded over 10 years ago much of our income came from from Sport England well that's not the case anymore is it? No they're an important part of course they are and um, they were very important in the early years of England athletics to make sure that we we got off on the right footing. We're now working in partnership with Sport England but we're only dependent uh, in terms of our annual income to just under 30% of our overall income. We're absolutely dependent on mem membership income from clubs and member bodies and registered athletes and runners I think that makes nearly 40% of our overall income, annual income. And then, of course, we bring in money through education courses, events and some sponsorship, particularly our uh, relationship with DW Fitness First. So this will hopefully be the first of a series of podcasts where we're hoping to explain to you what we do, why we do it, and all the different ways in which we support our member clubs. Uh, our whole model is getting more people to join their local clubs, more people to volunteer, more people to participate and help more people to improve. Just on what you've said, Dean, I think uh, the period we're about to enter, sort of the autumn period is, is always, a, always a period that um, I particularly look forward to because we host our regional award nights uh, where we celebrate uh, and recognise the efforts of volunteers giving their time week in, week out to support those participants in the sport, including our Hall of Fame, which is now in its 11th year, uh, which will be held at the Rico Stadium in Coventry uh, every October. We induct the great and the good and contributors to our sport going back some hundred plus years. Uh, but uh, of course, the other important facet of that night is recognising the volunteers in our grassroots sport. There would arguably be no heroes within our sport without grassroots volunteers working to unearth them in the first instance. So, can we go round so we've got everybody's names? Who have we got? Natalie. Megan. Rebecca. Andrea. Hazel. William. So you're all here tonight because you've won the England Athletics Yorkshire and Humberside Regional Volunteer Award for Run Together Group of the Year and Run Leader of the Year. How did you all get started? 
Um, a friend wanted to do Race for Life and wrote to me into helping her because I'd always been into fitness and I hated running, so gave it a go anyway, realised I couldn't run very far, started doing parkrun with my fabulous cousin, Andrea, and realised I quite liked running and running with other people, so started a group and met all these lovely people. And how, how did you find out about training to become a run leader? Because obviously you, to become to be a, to run a group, you've got to have the qualification. How many of you have got the qualification? Four. So, there's another one as well, but she's not here. So how did you all find out about the run leader qualification? Just through the group, didn't we? Yeah. And each other in, like when Nat became pregnant, with there was a necessity that we needed we had to people, um, or the group was going to disband. So we needed it. We needed it. And what sort of people join your group? All sorts. All sorts. We've got people who have literally just started a bit more than walking, and we've got people who run marathons and have run marathons for a long time, and we've got people ranging from grandmas right down to juniors, you know, 11, 12, 13. So we've got a huge range of people. We'd like some more boys, though, yeah, please. We would like more boys? boys. Yeah. Literally, boys or men? Unmarried. Unmarried. Anybody fancies it? Listen, we're, uh, we can do something. I'm not sure that we're miracle workers. We thought it might be a grand child. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, we have actually considered running a dating service. Have we tell you about we that? Have. I came up with that idea and you poo-pooed it. What better way to bring people together than to have a shared interest in running? Yeah. Because for us, certainly, it's kind of the basis for a lot of our social events as well. We spend a lot of time together. Um, how many how many sessions a week do you do? We do runs, should I say. Three, three runs at the park run. Four runs in the month doing Sundays. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, no wonder you've not got any partners. <laughs> <laughs> You're always out running. That is the, that is the problem. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. And how did you get involved? Um, I was dragged along by my mum. Oh, that doesn't sound very positive. <laughs> I'm assuming you don't need to be dragged along now. No. No, I enjoy coming now. He has been known to come without me as well. Yes, he has. Yes. yes. So, last thing then, what if you were to say to somebody who's thinking of maybe starting a run together group, what would you? I think I know the answer to this, but presuming you'd say yes, what, what's what are the what's the best thing about it? Making friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Having a laugh. We always say it's better than sitting on the sofa, isn't it? Even in the wind and the snow. And even when it was beast from the east, we still walked. Because um, it was too dangerous to run, didn't we, and stuff yeah. together. Just because we missed seeing each other's little faces. <laughs> You're listening to the England Athletics Podcast. Follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes. Like, share and comment on social media. Some people think all we do is focus on participation. Some people think all we focus on is performance. We hope to do both. We try to do both. At the performance end, we've got our coach and athlete development managers working with clubs, working with coaches to improve their skill set so that they can develop and help develop more athletes. At the other end, if you like, at the entry level into the sport, we've got our run-together groups which aren't clubs, although albeit clubs use run-together groups as a way of getting people in. But they, they exist to just give people their first taste of running in a safe, supportive environment. There were 75,000 people that have signed up to the Run Together programme thus far. That's 1,700 groups. I think we've taken about ooh, five, 550, 600,000 bookings through the online platform. So I guess 
it's symbolic of the broader growth in running over the last 10 years. I think we're in the second running boom. Uh, we're licensing more road races now than ever before, 3,225, which I think was 200 more than this time last year. Uh, a lot of that effort, of course, is not down to England athletics. It's down to the other bodies out there, including our member clubs, putting on road races from 5K up to you know, ultra marathon distance and, and, and so on. And, uh, you know, we, we can't forget the enormous contribution of partners like Parkrun, you know, 550, I think, events every Saturday at nine o'clock, free of charge, Sunday, 10 o'clock for the young youth run. I mean, it's a fantastic success story. And, and obviously lots of clubs putting those on. Absolutely. Clubs giving their volunteers, uh, volunteer time, uh, and in some cases, runners, of course, using it on as part of their kind of training plan and uh, you know it's a partnership that's really important to us. I mean from a recreation running perspective we're not just doing this for the fun of it um, and often the first steps people take will be in recreational running uh, or within running groups but very quickly they progress in often they progress into into clubs they start doing events and they they become part of our England athletics family. I think it's been mentioned before it's a late development sport isn't it so I mean just because you're you know, you're over 30 or edging towards kind of master's age group. Uh, Paul Evans, a great marathon runner, once said to me, it's not the age, it's the miles on the clock. I mean, everyone remembers he, he won Chicago the age of 36. And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd not really been doing much running before um, kind of his late 20s. He was a, he was a local footballer. Uh, Tracy Morris, Steve Way, various other examples of people um, achieving great performances into their late 30s. So... Uh, I think uh, there is a, there's obviously a participation element, but there's a performance link as well. Both, yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's going to be really, hopefully really interesting to everybody to hear about the specific programmes that we've got in place that, you know, ultimately you mentioned before, 40% or so of the income into England Athletics comes from members. We take really seriously the responsibility we have to make that money work for the sport. So we'll give people an insight into into how that's used to, to what benefit. And we need to remember that a large proportion of that funding comes from the off-track community. I mean, track and field, as we know in this country, is a small sport. I think 40,000 people did a track and field performance last year, most of them under the age of 20, and all the growth within the sport is coming largely from the off-track running fraternity with significant growth coming amongst women and girls. I think we're about 50-50% participation uh, between men and women now in terms of our member base which is something that we celebrate and uh, of course we're a diverse sport so trying to satisfy everyone's needs is often a, a challenge when it comes to spending money and uh, we have to obviously recognise that when we're looking at spending membership money in particular. I guess the, the other thing is that if, if, if we're saying that there's 40,000 performances on Power 10 and track and field what are we doing to try and, try and increase that number because uh, absolutely, we want to support those off-track running clubs and those off-track runners, but we're all one sport, and um, we all know how great track and field is as a sport. So, how can we get more people doing it? How can we get those people who are doing it to get have a better experience in the competitions that they enter? It's a really good point, and it's actually something that we're focused on at the moment, uh, looking at the reasons why young people, in particular, drop out of track and field uh, participation from the ages really of about 15, 16 onwards. It's not a problem that's unique to our sport. As we know, other sports are grappling with the same, same uh, challenges. We believe that uh, a lot of it's about um, competition, making sure that suitable competition uh, is, is afforded and provided for those youngsters relevant to, to their aspirations. 
making sure that the social environment around the young person is conducive to keep them in the sport, uh, supporting coaches, that they're providing relevant opportunities for athletes at different stages of development in what is, as we know, a late development sport, and making sure that the club, club environment is welcoming and that um, you know, there are suitable role models within the club to inspire those young people to uh, keep their aspirations when it comes to uh, senior competition and senior participation. So uh, it's good to know that uh, numbers are, if you like, they're flatlining, they're not declining, they're flatlining. Um, so at least we're not going backwards, but uh, we need to work at increasing those numbers and uh, broadening the pool. You mentioned coaches there. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to hear from some of the uh, prominent coaches within the sport as we as we move forward with the podcast. Because, as we know, there are some real characters involved in the sport, and it'd be great to hear from from some of those about their experience and and how they've worked over the years to to develop athletes and and support athletes in their care. So, that's definitely one to look forward to. Well, our sport's full of characters, isn't it? And uh, it's fantastic when you go and visit our member clubs and and meet some of the people who make that club tick and find out more about their contribution to the sport over decades in many respects. This country uh, has a reputation worldwide for producing some of the best coaches, the best coaching minds uh, over the decades. And uh, I think it's really important that we document and archive a lot of what they learned and what they honed during their coaching uh, careers and pass that on to the next generation. I know that coach development is something that we and the other home countries take particularly seriously in terms of supporting long-term athlete development. And uh, under Martin Rush, our Head of Coaching Athlete Development, uh, we have uh, plans to, to extend our support to coaches in, in the coming months and years, which no doubt he'll update listeners on in due course. Well, and that's a good way of reminding everybody that we really want to hear from people listening to this podcast. So ask your questions, uh, get answers to the questions you want answering conscious that not everybody can come to our consultation events or not everybody can attend uh, club nights when we're, when we're there in person. So asking questions via Twitter, asking questions via Facebook, asking questions via Instagram are going to be a really important way in which we can get our messages across and hopefully answer the questions that lots of people have about our work. There are a number of challenges that we face as a sport and challenges we're aware of, but we need people's ideas and contributions to, to help us tackle them. So just give an example now, um, which we've been talking about a lot recently, Dean, uh, the dwindling numbers of athletics officials available to work in our sport. I think uh, there were nearly 400 officials or so that, that we think dropped out of the system last year. It is an important area of the sport because without officials, we can't run competitions, whether that be on the track or off the track. Uh, preserving our facilities, we know that uh, with all the local authority financial challenges at the moment that, you know, athletics tracks come under scrutiny. They don't make money, they often lose money. So we have to think quite creatively about how we use that space and potentially work with other sports as well. I know our club support managers work actively across the country with their uh, local clubs to try and help protect and preserve those tracks. But certainly uh, those are two areas that are challenges to the sport and challenges where listeners' views will be appreciated. One of the misconceptions is that we're, we're in charge of all competition. Yeah. We're obviously not in charge of all competition. Uh, we work with, with other third parties. Uh, I don't think we should call them third parties. There are loads of really strong competition providers providing competition for, for athletes and, and runners within the sport. We put on our national championships 
which are obviously for the, if you like, the, the, the few percent of the, of the most talented athletes. But throughout the year, there are a range of, range of competitions that, that are put on. We have no direct control over how those competitions are put on. We fund some of them, which gives us a say in how they operate. Uh, and obviously we support organisations like the English Schools Athletics Association and like the, the area competition providers uh, to help them put on events for, for England Athletics registered athletes within their areas or within their environments, um, which is really important. Mm. But in terms of us putting on those, those events or being able to tell them exactly what they must do, uh, I don't think we'd want to do that. I mean, no. I think we recognise the history and the heritage of the sport. We recognise the role that these organisations have played uh, in providing competition for all those athletes for over so many years. We don't want to get it overly involved in uh, telling them what they must do. But equally, we, we definitely support the notion of working together to make competitions a more enjoyable experience for everybody who does them. Well, it's about choice, isn't it? And uh, one thing that our sport does offer is great choice. Uh, especially when it comes to competition, you know, you've you've mentioned area associations, English schools, athletic association. I think there are around forty county athletic associations across the country, run by volunteers, putting on county champs, road races, relays, etc. You know, we shouldn't forget the league providers as well, uh, providing team competition. I know you've got some knowledge of that. Slightly team. biased, being chair of the British Athletics League for my sins. It's uh, important, and choice is important. Uh, on the track, off the track, for different abilities, different aspirations, different ages, and uh, it's something we should celebrate. I think it's an area we need to look at actually moving forwards in terms of how the domestic calendar is structured, obviously working with UK Athletics under whose remit that, that falls, making sure that we've got a really clear pathway for athletes of all abilities and all ages to, to understand what competitions are available to them and for what purpose. I think it's a really important piece of work that we need to uh, get to grips with. It is. Months. It is, and that's a that's a, a kind of um, not a challenge. That that's a kind of requirement, if you like, of all the home countries, ourselves, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, who are very very similar bodies. You know, we are grassroots membership and development organisations, uh, getting people into the sport for the first time, hopefully keeping them in the sport, and um, some will rise to the top wearing an England vest, and hopefully go over and work with uh, UK Athletics uh, as British uh, athletes. Um, but the majority of people in, in our sport, of course, will stay under the, the fold of the home countries because that's uh, where our immediate focus is. I think we just want the sport to be good. We want everybody we do. doing the sport to have a good time. Yeah. I mean, that's, it sometimes gets overcomplicated, I think. But, yeah. you know, when people decide they want to be involved with athletics or they want to get into running, they just want to have a good time. Be better than they were yesterday, as that's the uh, cliché goes. Athletics and running is uh, just an extension of uh, community, isn't it? I mean, we often use the, the reference to the EA family, and it is, it is, you know, all brought together by uh, a common interest of uh, making the sport better. And, uh, you know, long may that continue. wondered when you were going to get a long, long may that continue in, Chris. It's one of your stock phrases. You've got to keep that one in. Thanks, Dean. <laughs> so who better to illustrate some of the work that we do as an organisation, but more importantly the work of our coaches around the country and our clubs than one of the heroes of London 2012, Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill. So I'm here with the 2016 Northern Athletic Shot Put and Javelin Champion <laughs> in Sheffield. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. So we're obviously here uh, inducting you into the England Athletics Hall of Fame, Class of 2018. 
being England Athletics, our, our big interests are in making sure we've got enough coaches to look after all our top youngsters and, and our seniors, and obviously the impact of, of clubs on our athletes. So, first of all, what was the impact of your coach on your career? Uh, obviously, a huge impact on my career. Tony coached me from the age of 13, so very early on in my career, um, I was introduced to him. He sort of guided me into the event of the heptathlon, and he, you know, he taught me all the events. He taught me everything I knew about athletics at that stage, and obviously then, you know, year on year, I, I got older, I went to different championships, I developed as an athlete, and that was all down to um, his coaching and his program in developing me as a as an athlete you developed superbly as an athlete over all those years how important was it to, to sort of stick with Tony and see him develop as well at the same time yeah I think that's a really important part you know as we started off our journey together he was still you know a young quite inexperienced coach and as the years went by he obviously furthered, furthered his knowledge he you know he learned more about the event himself about coaching um you know how techniques and everything changed over those years and he was always adapting um and that's obviously why I was able to be so successful because although I was changing and developing as an athlete he was as well as a coach and I kind of joke there introducing you as as the northern champion but you were quite I won't say unique in terms of world-class athletes but you did do a lot in domestic championships or in the Northern Championships in, in different events as part of your heptathlon. What impact did, or what part did domestic competition play in your development? Um, in my development, it was a big part because of the event that I did. So the heptathlon, obviously you don't do major championships or competitions every weekend. It's about making sure that you're um, comfortable with all the events. So it's finding those opportunities where you can put them into practice in a competition environment. Um, so like the Yorkshire Championships, the Northern Championships, all those domestic ones were great for me to, to go out over two days and to put three or four events together and see how I was in, in preparation, you know, for the major championships. So they were a massive part of, of my, my programme throughout my whole career. And, and, and you're obviously a member of Sheffield, or Sheffield and Dern as it now is, and I think you also competed for Trafford, which mm -hmm. pains me to say as a member of Sale Harriers. Um, <laughs> you know, the club environment, obviously people think of athletics as an individual sport, but I guess in heptathlon in particular, it, it kind of is a team event, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely individual, but you do have that team element. You have the team within within the heptathlon where you're all there going through the same, you know, stress and grueling event, but also your team around you, you know, your coach and physio and all those people that work all those hours to make sure that you're the best you can be. So, yeah, it's always a team team event. And I guess the training group was, was what gets you through. I remember seeing a video, I think, of you starting back winter training on one of the TV TV shows. And there's a big group of you flying up hills or plodding up hills, depending on who it was, <laughs> around Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, we always did hill runs on a Sunday. And, um, yeah, the team, you know, the, your training partners and the team around you when you're training on a day-to-day -day basis is really important. And, you know, they all kind of encourage you, you encourage each other. And it's hard when you're doing winter training and, you know, the weather's awful and you, you don't want to get up and do all those sessions. But when there's a, a group of you doing it, it makes it a lot easier. And I bet when, when people say, do you miss it, that's the kind of the last thing you miss but also one of the first things you miss in terms of the the group environment and the friendships yeah well ironically I've done hill runs this morning oh, and I, I said that I would never madness. do them and <laughs> you know I absolutely hated them and I couldn't wait to retire to not do them but actually in a weird crazy way 
I still do them because they're great for keeping fit. So, <laughs> so we're, we're talking now because you, you're being inducted into the England Athletics Hall of Fame, uh, class of 2018. Obviously, there's been some fantastic athletes who've been inducted into the Hall of Fame over the years. What does it mean to you to be listed alongside those? Yeah, it's a huge honour. And, and like you say, there's some great names that have performed and achieved some great things over the years. So to be alongside those athletes, um, I'm very proud. And having been retired for nearly two years now, it's, um, yeah, it's nice to be recognised in that way. I think that's the rules. You've got to be, you've got to be retired two <laughs> yeah. years in order to be inducted. You can, and obviously then it means there's no coming out of retirement as well, or we take the trophy back. Um, and then just finally, give us one of your fondest memories from your career. <laughs> I've been lucky to have lots of great memories throughout my career but I think one of my fondest memories would probably um, have been coming back after my injury that I had in 2008 and winning the World Championships that following year that was my first world title and going from a point of thinking that you're not going to get to where you need to be <laughs> See that's, that, that noise in the background is Tony even now interrupting and, and making a racket while you're trying to speak. <laughs> so that was Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill, I think perfectly illustrating just what we've been talking about on this podcast. So any suggestions that people have for what we might want to discuss on this podcast or what might be featured? As we say, if you've got questions and you want to hear from the horse's mouth, if that doesn't sound too equine, do interact with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. This is the England Athletics Podcast with Dean Hardman and Chris Jones.